little Bob here to introduce, to interrupt my dancing. <laughs> How nice. I got to let the whole song roll tonight. Thank you for that, Justin. Always a perfect start to the evening. <sighs> Bob Pye is out gallivanting in Shenandoah National Park. That lucky boy. It seems like he's been on vacation forever. He missed our last episode with the Ski Bum Roundtable because he went out to dinner with his friends. This guy's got a life. I love it. Uh, Bob Pye is my co-host and he is missing, but... At the end of the day, I have someone that I've been wanting to have on here since the beginning. Um, we have a mutual friend, and I've learned about this individual through, and then I met him at an event in Albany, and right away, him and I synced up. Uh, and we I knew for a fact we're both from Rochester and work in Rochester, and we had to, to talk about the hemp industry in New York. And what better person to bring in than Mr. Ira Fair, who has permit number Five in all of New York State. There are well over 400 permits to grow hemp in New York State now, and he has number five. So if there's anybody at the top of the list that we want to get good information from, find out how the state has changed, it is the man that is sitting right across from me right now. So Ira Fair, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. It's, uh, you know, it's been... Uh it's been a long haul, four years since uh, you know, we started doing this, and it's a lot of changes, a lot of crazy stuff going on. So I appreciate you because right now is the middle of your harvest season and you have taken the time for me one night to sit in my studio and chat and help educate people. So for that, I'm, I'm deeply ingratitude. No problem. It's actually a break. So, <laughs> you know, thanks for the break. Oh, no problem. So is it a break from what? Why don't you describe to people a little bit what your life's been the last month? I know what it's been, but explain to them, please. Oh, well, um, since... Since I only grow on uh, certified organic lands, I have to go where the organic lands are. And at this point in time, they're downstate near Binghamton. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I travel down there to, uh, uh, you know, to tend the crops and then I come back up here. Now, I've, I've been cultivating. We put them in, in the ground in the middle of July and we've been cultivating and we just started harvesting last week. In fact, we finished harvesting last week. And we we have a small harvest, but uh, what what happens is you you either pull the plants or you cut them up, uh, you know, from the ground. And, and when you're growing for CBD, this the stalks are just enormous. You know, it's thick. Oh my strong. God! You know, you're pulling these things up from the ground and, because I use the roots. I take the roots and I grind them up and I, I perform you know different things and try to figure out how to use them. Mm -hmm. I try to use the entire plant. Um, have you always done that? Always, yeah. From the beginning, uh, I try to use the entire plant. I, I look for paper makers uh, to to use so they can use the biomass, uh, the flowers for smokable flour and for infusions and extractions. The roots we grind and we try to make a binder uh, from it, you know, so that not only you, uh, you, or you can mix it with, with hempcrete and you can get different properties. You know, you see what the properties are. Hempcrete. I'm so yeah. glad you brought that up. We're going to go to so many different directions today <laughs> because there's so many different uses of this plant. People don't realize yeah. really from, from the flowers, not the only thing we like out of this plant. There's so many other beneficial parts yeah. of the plant. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually the future of the, of the crop. Um, CBD is the rage at the moment and it, it, and that's all well and good and it should be. Um, but you know, it'll find its place, you know, it'll level out at some point, but the real future of this plant, in my opinion, is, is the technology that you, that it's developed from the, from the other parts of it. Uh, you know, graphene, 
uh, <clears throat> you know, things of that nature, uh, you know, all whatever you can do with uh, the actual the substance, the power, if you can um, take the material itself and manipulate it down to, you know, microscopic levels, that's, that's really, you know, what I think is uh, where the plant will make a difference. CBD is great. Cannabinoids are great. Uh, but that's just one area in the spectrum. Have you seen your focus changed over the four years of growing as far as strains and types of plants for what you wanted to get? Or what have you learned so far in the four years? Well, that's that's yeah, that's actually two questions. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, uh, you know, yeah, um, my focus has changed. <laughs> it has changed a lot. Uh, I People who know me, they'll hear me say this all the time, and I'm sorry I repeat myself constantly. We but, like it. No, it's good. You know, Especially I, when it's smart. One of, one of the people that I admire, I, I, uh, I used to hear speak and I admire is Bruce Lee. And one of the things Bruce Lee would say was, be like water. And that's, uh, that's the philosophy I've taken into this business, because you have to be, because you don't know one, from one day to the next what the state's going to do, what the federal government's going to do, what your competitors are going to do. So you kind of have to be like water and just go with it. You know. What's the sense of going upriver, trying to change the direction of that river? Sometimes it's better to stay with it and, and learn how to manipulate it. Well, there's a place for that. I mean, if you want to go upriver, sure, there is a place for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in my particular case, I have to find the cracks and sort of fit in where I can, you know. So 2014, is that when you got your license? I got my license in 2017. Okay. I started this business in 2015. Gotcha. So a license, um, you were officially granted the license 2017. Correct. And prior to that, what were you doing? You was just on your own? I was just on my own. Yeah. I, um, I was interested in hemp from my Colorado days. And when I moved back here in 2008, uh, I sort of brought that with me and I started looking for people uh, who, who were also into hemp or interested in hemp. And I just started talking it up. And I eventually ended up in Albany working with um, the CBD work group. And, uh, you know, things and things, one thing led to the next. And somebody said, you know, you ought to start a business. So here I am. <laughs> so you've just been in this industry since 2014? Yes. Or thereabouts? Yes. Is that, um, do you regret it? Not at all. No, I'm, I'm a musician. And this is the first thing that has come up in my life that has actually made me turn away from music. And when, and when I mean that is my focus has deviated from music and I don't even notice it. Uh, that's insane. If for the people that know me, they know that's insane. <laughs> I was gonna say you have you. So you've been a musician since like birth, like you like that kind of it's been close. ingrained in you. Yeah, close. <clears throat> now, are you talking about individual instruments, singing, singing, or are you talking about like being parts of bands? Or uh, I'm a drummer, so okay. you know, I uh, you know anything that has to deal with drums. Uh, there you go. Justin and Iroh have many conversations on drumming, I'm sure. Oh, we have. We have already. <laughs> I love it. Didn't take long. How about that? So, so Ira beats me to the studio tonight. Justin's a drummer. And that conversation came up with I wasn't even in the room and they figured it out together. Oh, so yeah. Musicians have that way, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, so yeah. So this 
this is a second passion now. So you have two passions. How, how, do you, how do you fit both in your life? That's the thing. They don't. So, you know, I'm a very hyper-focused person. I, I do one thing at a time, pretty much. And my life right now is hemp. It's just wrapped around it, wrapped in it. Uh, I find the more I get involved, the more I find that I'm just fascinated by the plant itself, the biology of it, the, the, the characteristics, what it does when you treat it a certain way or what, when something happens to it, how it responds. I just find it amazing. So, uh, you know, I really am wrapped up in it. And how about how it reacts to your own body? Um, I don't partake of CBD too much. Um, I'm a THC guy. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I'm at. And I, I've been a THC guy since early days, you know, teen days, and that's not going to change. <laughs> Amen, brother. That's two of us. <laughs> uh, CBD, I supplement just to help me sleep because I do find yeah. the CBD types to help me sleep a little better than THC lately. Yeah. I say I have, I have no need for anything. I, I, I don't even remember going to bed. I go to sleep so fast. So You're so busy. Yeah. It's just yeah. Every, you're pounding it out. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and for me, I just can't shut my brain down at night. So oh, really my brain CBD doesn't is, shut down either. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, you're blessed then that you can fall asleep because yeah, I am so wound up that. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend hates it. How do you do that? Well, you know. Just... How do you go from being full bore to yep. sleep like that? Right. Yep. Like, and, and there's this weird phenomenon that happens. I can go to sleep with something on my mind and wake up with that same thing on my mind. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, it's crazy. And there's a lot of cycle in between where your brain is replenishing, yeah. fixing yeah. itself, shutting down, going yeah. through a reboot when we sleep, and to have that come right back, that's yep. funny. It's that's crazy. Focus. So hyper-focus <laughs> is an accurate, uh, accurate term for you. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, so does <clears throat> drumming now serve as an escape for you every once in a while, or do you re- have you really tabled it while you're doing the hemp thing? I've pretty much tabled it. Um, I, t- I still teach. Uh, I have one student, and I, I make sure I, I attend to her. But other than that, uh, I don't even practice as much as I used to. I used to practice two, three hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, I haven't practiced in weeks because I've just been so busy. The harvest is the harvest. Is the harvest. I mean, that. If you, it's very labor intensive, and for those who are interested in getting involved with hemp, you better you know think about it because you're going to need a crew, and you're going to need a big crew. And even if you um, uh, mechanize certain things, you know, trimming, uh, drying, what have you, you're still going to need a crew. And if you do, in, in order to mechanize, you're going to need money uh, to, to to purchase the equipment. So. Uh, it's very expensive. If you're growing for CBD, you're going to spend a lot of money per acre. And people think you're going to just hop into this business and make buku dollars right off the bat. No, it doesn't happen that way. It takes years of building your strains, of of learning what's good on your farm, because every farm is different. Every climate's different. The yeah. temperature, the, you got a ridge line next to your farm, and the farm next to you doesn't have a ridge line that blocks the wind. Like, the two farms could be totally different. Like, right. And you have microclimates within your own stand. Uh, that's the big thing that I learned this year, was I had four separate microclimates within one field, and the crops responded. 
they were the ones closest to a, a, a creek that were covered by a, a, a you know a, a, a crop nearby. Uh, they grew to six eight feet, and then others were half that size that were in ground that uh, flooded. So it was packed tight. They didn't like that. They want loose ground. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was a learning experience, and uh, it was quite interesting. It's not uncommon to see a hemp field with a lot of variations of the height of the plants, right? Well, Where you can see almost like a wave sometimes based on the soil, just like you said. Like, well, what do you think? I, I from my understanding, what you're trying to do is is stabilize the genetics. So when you stabilize those genetics, you're going to get crops that are almost identical or as identical as possible. So really it's the other way around. When you look at a field and you see that they're all pretty much like clones, well, they are most likely. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the way everyone is going. Now, in in the grow that I had this past year, I was fortunate enough just to get seed. So uh, I didn't get feminized seed, so I had to work extra hard to get the males out of the out of the field, mm-hmm. and uh, so the genetics were all over the place. So you have the same plant; one would be twice as high as the other, and uh, just you know, you had the spectrum of uh, of, um, of male to female. You would have some plants that were, you know, you look right at them. Oh, that's a male, and other ones, you oh, that's a female. Then you had the ones in between that you had to wait. To wait for them to mature before you could tell because they were in that spectrum where you just didn't know if they were male or female. You know? So interesting. These are the little things people don't even consider when they come into this industry. No. And, it's, and, and you have to get out in the field. You can't sort of broker all of this. You have to get out in the field and actually spend time and watch them. I mean, it's like any other crop. I mean, vegetable growers all know this. You know, This is nothing new to... To vegetable farmers, they all know this stuff, you know. But uh, there's a lot of new growers out there who have who have grown cannabis, but not to scale. Mm-hmm. And it's different when you're growing to scale. And really, the the big thing when you're growing to scale is one is is post harvest. What do you do with it then? You know, a lot of people don't think about that. Oh, I've got to store it. How are you going to store it? Are you going to vacuum seal it? Are you going to chill it? What are you going to do? If so, burn and, ha- and hang dry it. Right. I mean, there's so many different tobacco dryers. Are you getting right. a portable tobacco dryer? Are you going to buy, like, we purchase something? Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do? What's your favorite <clears throat> method of drying? Um, the one that works. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, the one that works. Uh, I have, so you've tried different methods. Then. Well, I have two different drying locations right now. And both locations, we have. It's a different environment. Um, one of them is much drier than the other. So I'm concerned about the one that's a little bit more damp. So uh, we have huge fans in there with a lot of circulation to make sure, uh, you know, uh, we don't have mold problems. Uh, and those are, they were whole plant, but when I realized the humidity was so high in there, uh, we branched them. Now in the other spot, it's drier. Um, so their whole plant, but I have, a, I do a lot of experimentation when, when I, when I grow. So mm-hmm. basically what's happening is I have, um, um, I have whole plants, then I have branched, then I have wet trimmed. 
So I do it all. I, I make sure I have all different types of uh, post, uh, post-harvest post setup so that I can see the difference between all of that. To, you know, okay, how... How, how did cold uh, or wet trimming affect the buds versus whole plant, so forth and so on, you know? And how do you document all that? Painstakingly, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, a one-person crew as far as my particular business. Now, I'm, I, um, I am looking for a team. So, you know, that, that, that's in the near future is I am looking for people to satisfy certain aspects in marketing and operations and that type of thing. So, you know, hopefully, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that'll happen sooner than later. Now, when, when you say you're a team, let's talk about your business a little bit more. So, so mm-hmm. first of all, you, you have a license to grow hemp in the state. I have a license to grow and process, yes. You have a processing license mm-hmm. as well. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, how, how far along are you uh, building your processing site? Uh, I just acquired a building. Uh, well, I'm in the process of acquiring a building. And if I get this building, uh, that's where the processing will take place, along with... Um, growth and some storage and it's not a big place which is fine because i i don't want my operation to be big mm-hmm. uh i only grow a couple acres at a time yep that's it yeah and you've always done that right um you the ser- first year i didn't okay the first year i grew 169 acres <laughs> what are you kidding me Mo- so folks we've talked about this before it's been mentioned on the show in the past usually it's the opposite people start bigging <laughs> people start small and go big or they don't go big because they realize how much it costs them go to go big, <laughs> how much small that. So 169 acres, how much did that cost you, Ira? Um, not much. <laughs> Where'd you get the clones for free? Well, it was a program that uh, the state uh, was in was was uh, offering in conjunction with Cornell uh, for us to plant. So they paid us to plant. So we would buy the seed, and then they paid us to put the crop in the ground. Once the crop was in the ground, we got paid. So there was really no push to harvest. So we grew 169 acres. <laughs> All right. So what did you and the state learn from that experiment? And how many, how many people actually took the state up on this Quite initiative? A, well, the, whoever was licensed. You know that again. You're talking early about early on, yeah. right? You're talking about early on, and there, there were four colleges and then six private entities that um, comprised the initial group. So, so there's ten companies, if you will, or ten mm-hmm. entities. Groups, yeah. And um, what year was that? Uh, 2017. Not very long ago. You're no. talking about seriously two seasons. Right. Ago. Exactly. It's crazy. And now we got what over 400. Over 400. Yeah. It's grown. Um, it's going to grow. It's going to keep growing. There's a lot of questions about uh, regulations and who's going to be the regulatory body. Um, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I spoke with the inspector today because I was inspected. And when he says expected, he meets the New York State Department of Ag and Markets, which is the entity within New York State right now that monitors the CBD hemp industry. They're the ones who hand out research agreements uh, with farmers and with processors. Correct. Sorry. sorry, Oh, no. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I was inspected today and, you know, all is well. So uh, 
you know, that that's not a big deal. So inspection, generally speaking, um, ag and market who are way overwhelmed by their 400 mm-hmm. permits, I'm surprised that you got inspected. I believe you said earlier you got inspected twice, which was funny. Um, but yeah. when they come on your site, basically they're looking for what? Documentation, they're looking for how you're preparing everything. What, what are they looking for specifically, Eric? They're looking for um, accuracy in information, um, they want to know, okay, and th- this is the initial inspection. That's what this represents. It doesn't in- uh, represent the harvest inspection or anything like that. Initial inspection. Now, this is back when you first planted? Co- correct. It, mm-hmm. it, this, is, this is supposed to happen in May, uh, which it did. It happened in July. Okay, so it was late then, but it, it happened. Um and technically, it wasn't that late because you didn't plant till June, right? I, I planted in July. Oh, you planted in July. Okay, yeah. Good. Well, okay. we put it in the ground in July, but we had it in starters in June, late gotcha. June. So, okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, so by the time he came out to inspect, it was July, which is fine. Okay, that's late. Everybody was late. The, the, you know, the weather dictated. It was uh, a late season for everybody in New York yeah. to get started because of the rain yeah. season. Yep, so, rainy spring. Uh, yeah, so it was no big deal there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, but today was interesting because... Uh, they said they were going to come out and inspect. And I was like, okay, all right, that's fine. I'm not going to say no or anything. And I I opened up my paperwork and I pulled out the old inspection from May or from July. And I was like, well, wait a minute. They did this already. So when when the inspector showed up, I showed him. And now he was confused. It, it It was actually kind of fun. And at the end... Um, I love talking to people. I love meeting people. So we ended up, you know, conversing and talking and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be more of a social set. Yeah, gathering, you know. right? And then you probably, did you pick his brain for anything? Did you learn anything new? Well, well actually he picked my brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is what's happening, right? Yeah. He picked my brain because I told him a lot of things about what was happening politically or I should I say regulatory Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that he, even working with the state, did not know because he's doing inspections. He's busy. He doesn't, he's got his head down. He doesn't know this stuff. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. He's right. just, they're so busy. The ag and markets right now are spread thin. Yes. I feel bad for them. Yeah. I tried to call them today for another question mm-hmm. and, you know, I had to leave my number for right. them to call back and they haven't called back yet. Yeah. I know where they are. They're all on the farms. Mm-hmm. Like, like ag and markets doesn't just handle the cannabis industry. They handle everything, you know, all the, they have all kinds of plants, not only plants, they, it's pest management as well. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, not to mention every kitchen that's licensed in mm. the state through Ag and Markets, right? Yeah. It's a $500 process to be licensed yeah. so you can produce food for people's consumption. Yeah. Ag and Markets in New York State, uh, aside from the health department, local county health departments, certify those kind of kitchens that they cook for commercial purposes. Yep. So they're responsible for that as well. So Ag and Markets is a busy bunch of boys and girls. Yeah, they're and you know they're when you talk with them, it's it's funny because you can see how stretched they are. You know, you can see in their conversations and their deep sighs and you know. <laughs> and, and a lot of times we as or, or I'm sorry, not me, but license holders, um, really a lot of times are getting more education quicker through attorneys than the Ag and Market reps are who are out in the field every day. Yeah. Yeah, in in a lot of cases, because I'm sure you have an attorney that helps you through all your stuff, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, and you and then you also use the Hemp Industries Association mm-hmm. for information as well. I'm sure, and you use other resources. Yeah, I, I use a, a variety of resources, much of it written, but I also depend on social media. And with social media, specifically speaking, there are certain people that I trust. 
that uh, post regularly uh, and certain uh, sites or pages that I trust. And I go to those sites for, for information and for uh uh, you know, for to, to see what the latest issue is. And in many cases, I get a heads up of what's happening that's going to happen in New York just based on social media posts from people in different states. That's right. Uh, there, people can go to a bunch of different sites to sign up. I know there's, I believe there's one for New York State Growers and Processors yes. on Facebook. Yes. Uh, and then Cannabis News and Entertainment News. That's mm-hmm. um, Ed Rosenthal, and he's out of California. And we've had him on before, and he has a closed group that people can be affiliated with. So there's yep. just a couple pe- places. And then, like I said, social media is a great, yep. absolute great term for yeah. people. And there's also um, um, buyers and sellers forums and marketplaces that uh, you, you can sign up for, and, and many of them are free. Uh, you can sign up for them if you have biomass or, or hemp flour or whatever you have to sell. Uh, you can sell it on this site, you know, oil, what have you. And, uh, it, it, you know, that's nice to have because right now it, the, the growers are there, and there are customers. Uh, the, the customers of the retailers that I see are die-hard customers. They are died—I mean, died-in-the-wool customers because they know the benefits that they're getting are real. Uh, and I and I'm amazed at when I go into a place where you better get out of the way of these people because they're coming in to buy their stuff and you get out of their way because they know what they want. And I love that because the educated consumer is going to drive this industry. A lot of people don't realize there is a CBD stores here in Rochester and CBD that um, I've heard from them that they, their top seller is actual CBD flour. So they keep it in jars on their shelves and people can come in and then they got to wait it out and normal weights like back in the day, eighth quarter blah, blah, by grams, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, 30% of their sales are flour. Um, yes. And, and it's because people like still that texture and there's, there's a misconception out there about the health of smoking the cannabis plant versus cigarettes. And you know, I've been hearing different things about it, and I have to uh, look into look into or do some more research on that because the same things have been said about vaping as well. So there's so much information out there about that and misinformation that I really don't know what to believe at this point. As far as uh, all I know is I've been smoking all my damn life, and you know I, I'm fine. And whenever I get a checkup, I Doctors say, well, man, your lungs are so good. Well, I don't tell them anything, but, you know. But you know that's that there's two people in life you can tell everything to. <laughs> Those two people, your attorney and your doctor. Oh, that's not what I was thinking, but. <laughs> no, your attorney and your doctor. And, the, and think about this, right? There's two people in your lives, folks, that you can be brutally honest with every uh-huh. second, and they can't tell anybody else. That's true. My doctor, I've told all about my usage. Uh-huh. And she sent me for a stress test uh, a little over a year ago now uh, of my heart. My lungs she checked. I have full asthma test. I have nothing. And I've been smoking mm-hmm. pot through bongs uh, since the age of 17. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm 47, so that's what I'm preaching <laughs> everybody, Ira. You're, we're right together. You're held, so, Ira, I'm going to describe Ira to everybody real quick. Uh, black gentleman, very trim, keeps himself well. You can tell he's healthy. He's fit. He's got so much energy. This kid can't sit still, this guy. How old did you say you were? I'm 61. 61. This dude... <laughs> 
Hey, everybody knows me, knows I got high energy and I can't sit still. This dude hasn't sat still since he sat down right oh, now. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess that um, I've always been like this. I've always fidgeted and, you know, I don't know. No, you've got natural energy. There's I nothing guess. wrong with that. <laughs> and it's a positive energy, man. I, I, you are In the room, you could just tell you yeah. got that aura around you. You're a good soul. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I just try to have fun and... Um, Try to be positive with people and not negative. That's you know, it all comes down to that to me is just try to be a positive influence no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are. Uh, if you're a positive influence, well, you're doing your job, amen. You, know? you, you smiled every time I've met you so far, I've been around <laughs> you, so I know you got something going on good, yeah, uh, not necessarily good, but I got something definitely going on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go back 169 acres, 2017. Mm-hmm. All right, so what Ira has um, talked about a couple times is the labor-intensive that this is, right? How, how the heck did you get... Ha- so technically, folks, you're not supposed to use m- mechanics on this uh, on these farms in this acreage. You're, you're really supposed to be hand-picked, hand-planted, like ideally 169 acres. Tell me how that went. Like it, you had to have used machines. Well, right? that you, you, I wouldn't say that you, you should ha- use hand uh, no, you want it for for the crop that we were growing at that time. Mechanization is a thing. So what we were growing at that time was for fiber and grain, right? Uh, fiber and grain is so different than the CBD crop I'm growing this year. Fiber and grain uh, grows very tall, very thin. You want to? I call it carpet bombing. That's not really the technical term. It's you're drilling it, but I call it carpet bombing because that's what it reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all the World War II stuff I study. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway, um, so when you when you plant it very close together, it tends not to branch out and it grows very straight and tall. And, and it's, the genetics are designed for that anyway. So you, you have a fiber crop uh, and a very consistent fiber crop. And also you can get a very good grain crop from that. Uh, I mean, the, the crop that I had was a dual purpose crop. It was for grain and fiber. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the way that from what I understand, the research they're doing at Cornell is the way that they're trying to go is a dual purpose, a general purpose, dual purpose crop, that kind of thing. Is that for New York State specific because of our growing temperate climate? That yeah, thing? everything. Uh, um, well, I don't know about everything, but yeah, most yeah. of the things that Cornell is doing is it pertains to New York, how this crop grows in New York. I've gone to their field trials and, and their field trials are very interesting uh, to see exactly what it, what it is they're growing and, and how they're doing it. And uh, there, uh, many many places are using um, what do they call it? it, it they're using plastic. There's a word for it. Um, you mean you, laying plastic down? Laying the fields, plastic right? down. Yeah. So yeah. what he's describing <clears throat> is people put rows of plants out, and then what they do is they kind of do a roll of plastic over and cut the holes where the yes. and it prevents weeds from growing to Correct. prevent uh, basically more. Uh, power more more energy into the plants instead of the weeds around them. Correct. Go ahead, sir. Now, uh, I was part of a webinar last night, and I ra- I posed the question, hey, uh, is there a non-plastic alternative to uh, weeding? And they said, yeah, you're hoe, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, there you have it. Weeds are difficult because you can't use pesticides uh, on these plants, folks, because we're talking about putting in your bodies. And New York State had this huge banned list of everything, mm. pesticides, metals that you can't have in your soil. And we've talked about this before. The hemp plant pulls mm. everything out of the soil yeah. into it. Yeah. It's a wonderful remediation crop. And I'm surprised it's not being used for that more. 
I expected that to be one of the primary uses of it early on in this state. Um, and I really think that uh, that should be looked into by companies that, that can do that is look into there's tons of browns field brown fields all over the place. Uh, hemp, uh, hemp, our companies should partner together and get you know and look into remediation. Okay. That, uh, the first time I heard about that was the event I met you at in Albany mm-hmm. when there was a woman in the room who spoke that she's working with one of the counties uh, where she was growing. And I apologize I didn't meet her because she left too early because I wanted to go talk to her about it. But she was talking about brown these brownfield sites and how they're starting now to add this. But you're absolutely right. These plants pull everything out. The, these right. brownfields, you get rid of that stuff, your toxins are out of the soil and your soil now can be reused. Right. And I, re- I can't remember the, the, the statistics involved. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's, there's, you know, specific numbers involved. So many years you can do this. You have to do it in order to um, completely remediate that kind of thing. But I do know uh, it, it, it works wonders. That they say it works wonders on a field that that uh, is depleted of, of, of nutrients, uh, and that's why it's such a great rotational crop to add to your rotation. Mm-hmm. So a little um, less labor intensive for doing fiber grain, right? Because you're not so much worried about the flour itself, like being tainted with anything, everything. Am I right? Um, and I know uh, during that session, we had that gentleman from Canada who talked about how his machinery gets all gutted up with the, with oh, the yeah. stuff and what he had to do to modify his machinery to yes. be able to pull the stuff out of the soil without it causing fires. Like right. you must have had some of that that year you had that big, like, did you deal with some of that? Well, we didn't have to deal with any of that, but I've heard people who had to deal with it. Um, and I do know that's a common problem with standardized equipment that we have here in New York state and across, you know, the, the different states that hemp is grown. You do have to modify the equipment. You have to beef it up because what basically what happens is the auger gets all clogged up with the uh, uh, with with the material because it does not break. I mean, it just doesn't break. And then the next thing you know, you have a fire. Um, so I do know of a couple of guys who actually carried their fire extinguishers in the cab with them, and they would actually jump out every so often and put out fires, and then just keep going. It's crazy that's how strong this plant is folks that's why mm-hmm. Colum- that's why they used to use it in ships they used mm-hmm. it for rope back in the day there, there's a lot of benefits to this plant which this country is only now tapping yeah. into yeah and other countries have done so much research Israel has done research um, of, uh, you know Europe Eastern European countries have grown uh, hemp for a long long time so they 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 have a, a heads up on specific equipment that's used with with specific implements that can be used uh, and they've been using these things for a long time and we're just now getting um, hip to that if you will mm-hmm. you know. Europe's always ahead of us those lucky guys I'm sorry Europe's always ahead of us oh yeah like with yeah. everything. Like, well, I don't know about everything, but you know. You're right. It, see, <laughs> it seems like it. I don't, I don't know. The, well, the lifestyle. Well, they, the reason why I to get caught up like we did. The, the reason why I say that is I'm a, I, I study history a lot. And one of the things I learned about history was, the you know, the song, um, um, oh, I can't remember the name song by the Beatles, me, uh, um, the Meter Maid song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lovely Rita, yeah, Meter Maid. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I learned a thing about Meter Maids. They came along as a result of parking meters coming about in America. And Great Britain copied it because they didn't have to pay for parking until 
the United States started paying for parking, and they said, hmm, not a bad idea. So they came up with, yeah. So That's classic. So, you know, there there's a reverse... Yeah, reverse steal the yeah. way to make money. <laughs> hey, there's a reason why we had the Boston Tea Party. They taxed the crap out of us. They just figured out another way to tax their people over in England. Yeah. They learned it from us. They learned it from us, so... You know. That's a great story. I love, yeah. I love anecdotes that by like that. Anytime oh. you want to add a thousand of those, go oh, ahead. I have a billion. Well, the thing is, I, I I just I listen to podcasts all the time, and and history podcasts fascinate me. So, uh, I, especially I, I, history podcasts that look at a different way of history than what we knew in the history books going, going to school, right? Like, well, they all do. History. They all do anyway, to a degree. Um, I started learning about quote-unquote alternate history um in my 20s i started learning different things that i didn't learn in high school and it's not to knock my high school because i'm not i love my high school but um you know i um it it was what it was and you kind of have to take the onus on yourself to not believe everything you hear anyway because you know the victor writes everything so you got to kind of read between the lines and just do your own research. And that's with everything. You know, that's not just history. That's with the hemp. That's with music. That's with everything. You've got to just grab the ball and do your own research. And if it, some people say, well, I don't have time to research. Well, then you don't have, you're, it's not that important to you. Yeah. Then don't speak on it one way or another. Right. Sit back and let the other conversation go on right. from someone who may have. Yeah. So, yeah, um, good point. Yeah. I, I do a lot of research. I check up on a lot of stuff just because I'm interested in it and not because I'm trying to prove a point or anything like that, but I, I love history. Right, what's the latest thing you studied and learned? Um, recent? The latest thing I studied? Yeah, well, yeah, or, or came across you, yeah. I may um, World War One. I, I studied that, and I also studied a little bit of history of China during the period between World War One and World War Two, and it's all actually tied into World War Two. Um, the, this, the podcast that I listen to is all about World War II, but um, it starts, it, it, it starts, it sets you up for it. It tells you how all the players got into it and why. And uh, it's amazing. Oh, and it talks about the detail of uh, the correspondence that went between the political uh, adversaries and allies and, and, and military foes every, and how things, how things happened. It's it, the details of how things happened. And I just, oh, I'm fast. As you can see, I'm just thoroughly fast. No, that is wild because most people yeah. don't think about that. Like oh. the coding and the Indian codes oh, and all this other oh, stuff that went into. Even before that. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, the, just how it led up to it. And the reason why, you know, Japan was, was looking to, to expand. They wanted to expand. So they were basically, you know, Pearl Harbor was basically a delaying tactic. They wanted us to be out of the war for six months to a year so that they could build up their defenses in, in Southeast Asia. Then it wouldn't have mattered what we did because it, it would have cost so many lives for us to reclaim it. We would have, they, their thinking was we, we would have said, ah, screw it. Yeah, we're not going to mess with them. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened, you know. Yeah, to a degree. To a degree, yeah, that's kind of what happened. They backed down pretty quick, though. I mean, well, you know, we throw a big bomb down in their ride. Well, that's, there's a reason why we threw that big bomb down, though. It, it was because of the, their design. <laughs> it was working. That's right. <laughs> um, all right, so my question is, listen, one little tangent on this, and then we'll move sure. back to them, but... <sighs> Is in anywhere of the World War II podcast have they talked about 
uh, Hitler and the technology he had and what Russia and the U.S. were chasing to get and why we got uh, we got the head of uh, the NASA Van Leer there. We got him yes. instead of Russia. Did they go into some yes, of that? Yes, they go into a lot of that. They go into um, uh, uh, the biographies of Hitler, uh, Mussolini, um, um, Stalin, uh, Churchill. And I'm telling you, I was just fascinated by all of them. Uh, especially, and people are going to think this is crazy, but Winston Churchill, um, guy was, you know, he was he's, he wasn't politically correct, and he ex- wasn't exactly, um, um, you know, he, he believed in racial separation and thing like that. But you know, that doesn't I don't give a crap about that. Yeah, uh, I just I that guy fascinated me by the way he spoke and how he could move people with his his speeches. I I listen to his speeches because I just I can't I can't, I can't stop listening to him because the way he says things uh, I have found just fascinating. Um, What's the name of your favorite one for people? My favorite podcast uh, that you listen to get um, information for people. I like to tell. I like hardcore history by Dan Carlin. I like that one too. Yeah. I also like uh, the history of World War Two. Um, and I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, <laughs> I have to look at my phone. No worries. It's off. Don't worry. I, hey, I don't mind. I want to make sure that we give people right right information. So just real quick on what I was talking about, there was um, <clears throat> there was a documentary on YouTube uh, talking about. And a big piece of it was uh, talking about the Germans and how they had this technology for alien crafts ahead of everybody else. Interesting. Uh, Russia and U.S. may have. Mm-hmm. Um, Roswell plays into it somehow. Mm. Uh, but the belief was that uh, the reason why Hitler went so nuts is because he found this technology him and his scienti- or scientists did first. right? Mm. So they had this bell that would be over concentration camps that they were at night and it would be glowing. Mm. And... There's a documentary, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but it basically says that there was a race for World War II of who was going to get to Berlin first. But it wasn't because of what we all thought. It was because they wanted to get the treasure trove of, of stuff that the, that the Nazis took from other countries. A lot of people know this. Nazis stole everything they could, valuable paintings, artwork. They stole everything. They went into some place, they stole everything, brought it back to a, a basically a big vault. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew that that vault was there and they had to retrieve a lot of this stuff. But one of the things was they wanted to go over there and get the scientists and the first country that got there was going to bring the scientists back. And that's why NASA, it's all German scientists that ran NASA. That's interesting. And they also believe, and and for those of you that don't know, Argentina is a hotspot for Nazis. Oh, that's been known for my entire lifetime. And they believe that this technology was taken down there. And that's why down there is a hotspot of alien sightings as well, because that technology was brought down to that area as well. (laughs) I'm telling you, uh, there's so much out here that you can get yourself wrapped into. You know, it, it, History is cool. It's just it cool. Yeah, and, and to and for me, it made my belief that oh, all these alien crafts and these sightings now are mostly yeah. us, not not actual aliens. I believe it's actually us that's had this technology for yeah, a while. Could be that would that would be my point. Especially if Hitler, there's a reason why he thought he could take over the world. He had to have something in his back pocket that because he knew we had the atom bombs. So he had to have something in his back pocket that he felt like the atom bomb wasn't even worth it because they never had it. The Germans never had the atom bomb. Why wouldn't they have developed that and had the chance to throw that on somebody during that war? No, because they had other technology that made the atom bomb look like stupid. Interesting. 
Now I'm trying to. Um, He's looking up the other podcast for us. It is the, this his, so thorough. the history of World War II podcast. That's the name of it. Cool. Um, Ray Harris Jr. is the host, and it's it's a, a biweekly podcast on World War II. Perfect. In intimate detail, and it is. It, it's a really cool podcast. I like it. I love yeah. t- sending people to look at different things and and look at things a little differently than we've seen in our newspapers and television stations yeah. over the years, right? Yeah. I mean, because uh, the, the information is always filtered. All right, let's back to the cannabis talk. Sure. Permit number five, what's the name of your, or your company? We haven't even said that yet. 21st Century Hemp. And uh, we are what's considered a hemp producer. Uh, and what that means is I, I grow, I process, and then I manufacture uh, not only raw materials, but uh, materials that are used by other processors and retail outlets uh, to either sell outright or to process to make their own products. What process do you use? Where, where are you at? Do you use small CO2? Um, I'm looking to get a CO2 processor, but again, with the state, you got to be careful. Um, there's certain things we can and can't do when it comes to CO2 processing. Um, a lot of infusions, that's kind of where the game is now. Uh, you infuse uh, with MCT um, or uh, coconut oil, uh, things of that nature. Uh, you can also do ethanol extractions with a an at home ethanol extractor if they you know if that's what you have, or large scale. Or large scale, yeah. Uh, everything I do is small. Um, because so you're I, almost like a craft craft business. You're you're doing yes, smaller batches. Yes. You're doing smaller scale. My whole philosophy is small, um, slow, cool, high quality. You know, just I, I'm I'm looking to produce the best flour I can possibly produce. I I with all my crops, well, not all of them, most of them, I I dry, I slow dry, and then I cure them, and I I make sure that the terpenes don't evaporate. Uh, you know, because I I'd love to open a jar and just go, mm, oh yeah. <laughs> and when you uh, so what happens is processor a lot of times will get um, kind of industrial dried plants that what it will do is they'll put them put mm-hmm. through tobacco dryers which dry them very quickly and it can preserve the cannabinoids uh, not all the cannabinoids mm-hmm. get produced it can preserve the CBD within it and the mm-hmm. CBDA the THC THCA uh, but some of the other cannabinoids and terpenes can be lost in that process yeah. yes. so that's what Ira is t- saying now that the reason why you cure it longer mm-hmm. and take this time to do it which costs a lot more it's a lot more consuming right you have to store the store the crop and and um I plan on this year. I plan on storing the crop in chillers. I, I would like to keep it uh, uh, chilled, and this is something new that I'm doing. Again, this is uh, my first CBD crop. I've grown fiber crops before, so a lot of what I'm doing, I've sat down in 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 the in months past and said, okay, uh, how am I going to go about this versus how everybody else is going about this. I, I'm not interested in doing what everybody else is doing, which seems to be um, let's get it dried quickly, let's let's trim it mechanically, let's pump it out. Here you go. I and they're, and and they're they're going large acreage. I mean, I, I know some people who are growing 50, 60, or more acres of CBD. I've talked to one farmer who has eighty acres of cherry wine. That's that's a lot of acreage, and that's a lot of manual labor. 
I can't even imagine. I I, I don't want to imagine. <laughs> no, that that's a lot, and that's a lot. Think about just the barns they would need for drying, unless yeah. they're going to do all yeah. tobacco drying. Then you're taking yeah. some of the benefits away, right? Yeah. Um, all right. So I, you you have expe- some experience extractions. I mean, so let's talk to people a little bit about why CBD products are tough to make consistent. Like it's not like you can have a jar of aspirin and it's, that aspirin's the same. But, 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 but why is it that this is so much different than something like aspirin, Tylenol, where all five thousand bottles, no matter what, are the same? There's why there could be skewities for people. Well, from what I understand, because I'm not an expert in this, I'm actually learning. Uh, a lot of where, what we're about to talk about. Uh, but from what I understand, a percentage uh, of CBD per weight or you know, it has a lot to do with it and, 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 and how you dose it. Um, many people don't understand dosing. And I think what's happening is you're getting misinformation on the bottle itself or on the, on the package itself. And, and they're well-intended. It's just that it's, a, it's kind of a confusing uh, thing if you've never you know, gotten into it. So Denigration. We're talking about denigration of CBD. Yeah. If, if maybe a COA doesn't match the product if it's tested later, that kind right. of thing, right? People, well, that's one thing. Yep. Or you're just not you're not measuring it correctly in the first place, you know? So, um, if you have, if you have uh, in storage, like you say, denigration, if you have cannabinoids and you store them in a, in a, in a, in a container where UV lighting is going to degrade it, well, uh, it's, it's, you're not going to get what you purchased or, you know, because it has to be stored correctly. There's so many factors that go into this, um, from, just getting it into the ground, uh, if it's stressed from the beginning, uh, if you get this plant in the ground and it's stressed right away, you're going to get a high level of THC versus, you know, the, the ratio is going to change. And it's all about that ratio. That's another thing is that I'm, un- I'm understanding is the ratio is so important. Um, uh, I mean, you could have 18% CBD, but it, you might be hotter and all get out. And what he means by hotter folks is when it something uh, a COA and a plant gets tested, and it actually the delta nine, the THC is over 0.3. Uh, some states will look at the THCA, which can convert over to THC with the proper conditions, but generally speaking, THC uh, is above 0.3 is considered hot. Sorry, right? To yeah, that. yeah. So uh, the, if you have a ratio of about 24 to one, I mean, if if you have uh, you know, you're going to be hot at about what 15 percent, so you know, or 12 percent. It seems to be a trigger there, 15, yeah. 17 percent at least, yeah. if not, yeah, you're right. You'll be hot. So uh, these people sometimes get wrapped up in the percentage number itself, saying, "Oh, my crop is 17 percent, or my crop is 18 percent, or why didn't I get an 18 percent crop? My crop's only 14 percent." Which is well, still decent. It's still decent. Oh, yeah, that's very good. good. I mean, come on. I mean, I, personally, I think that's very good. And the reason why I say that is because, yeah, what is your ratio, though? Because you might have 17%, but you might be 0.6 THC. <laughs> so you got You can't do anything because nobody's right. going to want that. And, and Pastors won't want that. No. That's a, a risk to them. No, and not only that. Personally, I believe, and this is what I've learned in, in, the, in this past crop and um, actually a crop before that. <clears throat> is it's 
it's just as important what you do post-harvest to that crop as it's growing. And in fact, it's probably more important. Uh, the way that I go about doing things is I use only certain materials. I don't use plastic. Um, that I mean, it may or may not make a difference, but in my mind, it does. When I cure, I use glass. I don't put them in plastic containers. I make sure I cure. I make sure I burp so many times a day, so forth and so on. I take my time with it. I don't rush any of it. And it seems to be paying dividends because when I open a jar, it pretty much knocks me on my ass. It's, it's, it's really cool to open a jar, just poof, it hits you in the face, you know. That's right. Uh, and there is a, a delicate balance. So he's talking about burping. That means opening a jar and then closing again for yeah. a certain amount of time. Yeah, I do it for uh, three times a day, 20 minutes to 30 minutes a day. That is... Or a shot. Ira, we've never had anybody on here talk about proper curing methods. So as de much detail as you want to go in for people, please, because I'm sure there's a lot of home growers that could use this advice because... Um, a lot of times people will grow at home, then they want to dry real quick, two, three days, but get it out to get put it. Right. There's right. a better method. Please tell well, people. Yeah. You know, actually, um, two or three days is the norm for certain things. Like if you have a branch, if you branched your plants, you could dry them in three to five days because it's a branch. But if you uh, pull up whole plant with a root, because I, again, I use all the roots, um, depending on the humidity in the room, uh, you're talking 10 to 14 days, uh, and we're talking. Really, you want to keep you want to keep your drying space, uh, you know, 60 degrees uh, to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Don't go over 70. Anything over 70, and now you're starting to mess with the trichomes. So you want to keep it uh, 60 degrees, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, your humidity is anywhere. Now I've heard from 40 to 60. So. I've heard 50 to 60 and then 55 to 65. So 40 to 60, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I think traditionally most of the time I like to stay around 50 for, yeah. You know, yeah. generally speaking, as a rule of thumb. Right. And some people do it progressively. Uh, the longer the cycle or, or further on in the cycle, they, they um, lower the humidity as, as, the, as the cycle progresses, they'll lower the humidity. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so how many jars do you have in a room? Like, because how many acres did you grow this year, last year, I guess? So let's take last year, because you did, did you do the same curing method last year with your stuff? Uh, no. This is new. the first year I'm doing the curing method. I've just been doing it for months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I, the reason why I say it that way is, is um, it, a month is not a long time, but I've been working on this. Uh, I didn't start this past week with this with this harvest. I've mm -hmm. actually been working on it for a little while, and there's and just the few months that I've been doing it, I've I've noticed so many little things uh, that uh, it 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 justifies. It makes me feel justified for doing it this way. Uh, retail wise, you know. <clears throat> people would love this. Retail wise, oh yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah. What's the first thing you do when you when you go uh, into a, a vape shop or a shop and you open up a jar of, of, of uh, smokable flour? What's the first thing you do? Yeah. Big sniff, man. Yeah. I want to yeah. be fresh. I want to feel yeah. like I'm medicated. Yeah. You know, those terpenes are just kicking you. So that that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm old school. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from the Alcapoco gold days and the Panama red days and, you know, <laughs> 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 yeah, 
know. I love it. So, um, so, so this year, how? What do you think you're going to have for weight? How many acres did you plant this year? Only, t- only two. Actually, less than two. By the time we were finished, because again, the seeds were not feminized, so about fifty percent of them were males. Um, I had roughly 750 plants by the time I was done, and you're talking only a few hundred pounds, which is mm-hmm. fine. Yep. Uh, because what some of them are going for my own product line that I'm developing, a uh, 21st century hemp product line, uh, other plants I've leveraged uh, for services and real estate and things like that. Uh, and then the rest I'm going to sell uh, as smokable flour and, and for uh, uh, oil, oil production. So he, you said leveraging, uh, otherwise known as bartering. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why yep. isn't that around more often now? I'm glad to hear that you are actually able to barter this way because it's, it's, it's great for everybody involved. Yes, it's great for everybody involved. And that's the thing is the reason why this barter worked is because we both win. Um, and I look for that no matter where I go. Um, I look for situations where we all can win in a creative way, because I have to, that's how I have to do things. I have to do things creatively. It's just me. I'm small. Um, I don't have uh, financial backers. I bootstrap every step of the way. So I have to be creative. And I was curious about that. How are you doing all this with, uh, I know what the costs are to start a processing company. Right. And they're not small. Now, craft is a little bit different. You're doing COTs, but you are still talking about a lot of components and a lot of money involved. Yeah. Is this just you and another investor? You're really, uh, it, this is all just you? It's since, all just me. Since 2015. Since 2015. That means the whatever you've produced from what you've grown over the last couple of years, you've done well for yourself. Oh, thanks. It's been a struggle, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's a lot of farmers that have come, come and gone already. Yeah. I mean, in, in a year to two years, because yeah. they're like, this is too much. Like, yeah. Well, there were times when I almost threw threw in the towel um, because I just didn't understand how this was going to work, you know. Um, and, and everything was so crazy at the time; it well, it still is. Uh, that I just said, you know, maybe this isn't worth it. But I would just sit down and um, I'd think, okay, what else am I going to do? <laughs> All right. What did you do before this? That's a great segue. Well, uh, I, I still what I do. I work at um, Rochester Precision Optics, which is a, uh, you know, uh, they produce uh, optical plastic and glass optics for um, military use, for you know, virtual reality use, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I worked in their plastics department for a while. And uh, when that shift went away, I looked around because I worked weekend shift, uh, which works because then I can do 21st century all through the week. So this was going on for a year when they all of a sudden alleviated my position. And I said, oh man, this can't happen. So I looked around and I said, well, what if I create my own position? So I asked uh, my boss, I said, well, what if I stay on the weekend uh, and I just go to a different department. And they said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, what about facilities? And they thought about it. I said, yeah, that'll work because I do the work that they can't do during the week. Okay. So it worked out for everybody. Nice. So I still work 40 hours Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow, that's phenomenal. Oh, it's insane. It's, it's, I know. Yeah, 12, three 12 hour days, basically. That's no, nuts. 14 hour days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. Three 14s. And then I, then I go on the road for 
two and a half hours and drive down to my field and work down there all week, and then I come back and do it all over again. That's a nice mix, though. It's a nice mix, but man, you better get your rest. You know, it's sleep is a critical element. So, real quick, twenty-four hours life. Everybody should spell it this way: eight hours work, eight hours play, eight hours sleep. Now, yeah, eight right. hours play gets work that that gets short down to for most people about a half hour a day, maybe an hour. But remember, folks, when you're sitting on the couch watching TV. That's your playtime. You're just wasting <laughs> watching TV, okay? You could be doing things like Ira and I where we go out and do projects. We're looking to meet people. We're looking to socialize. We're looking to find the next podcast to listen to and learn from. We're not sitting on the couch. <laughs> this is breaking the stereotype of smoking and sitting on the couch mm-hmm. watching TV, folks, because Ira knows he, hopefully he sleeps eight hours a day. No, and, right. But he's probably working, at the end of the day, he's probably working 20 hours a day. Well, people ask me a lot, when do you sleep? I tell them when I collapse. That's usually when I sleep. So you let your body say this. Is, so that's a carcinogen. We're going to talk to you about this. You yeah. need to have a regular sleep schedule. Yeah. I, I sleep about yeah, anywhere from two to four hours a night. And then some. most of the time it's in my truck. Yeah, you have to because you're <laughs> near your farm, right? It's right. close to the farm. What's right. the waste of driving back to a bed when you can sleep right. in your truck? I, I sleep in my truck. Sometimes I'm in the field. If I'm not in the field, I'm I'm wherever. You know, I, I sleep in my truck a lot. So what Do you do you have a sleeping pad or is it a inflatable Mattress, what do you have in the truck? I just, I'm looking at a pickup truck now, folks. I just, uh, I lean the seat back, and if it's cold, I throw a blanket over me, and that's it. Wow, that's I have better a pillow. than me. See, I got to be curled up like a little kid, so well, I can sleep anywhere, but I do need to be laid out. Yeah. I can't, in my seat, I can't get a good Well, place. when I was a kid, and this is this is a little known fact, I guess. Listen. When I was a kid, I was, I was very strange when it came to sleep. A lot of times I would sleep under my bed, and then other times I would sleep in the corner because in the wintertime it would, you know, obviously be cold, and I would sleep where the heat is. Well, the heat vent is on the floor in the corner, so I would sleep in the corner with my back on the floor and my legs up the wall. Because of the heater. <laughs> but yeah, and I would just fall asleep that way. And That's so funny. someone would come in the room and go, what the, what is wrong with him? <laughs> But what he did, folks, was he created a situation where as a kid, because he could do that, this guy can now sleep anywhere, anytime. I can sleep anywhere. Yeah. Anytime. That's huge. Yeah. Like people don't realize sometimes, yeah, you, you want a certain way all the time, but now if you have to divert one time, you go to a hotel, yeah. you got to stay in a cot, something different, you can't sleep that night because yeah. you're, you're not, like me, I can sleep in a lean-to on a sleeping mm-hmm. pad with a pillow and a, and a blanket, and as long as it's warm enough, I'm sleeping no problem. Well, I, you said it earlier about being blessed. I'll tell you, I... I do not have sleep problems. That's one thing I don't have. I can fall asleep quicker than you can blink. Boom, I'm out. I, it's just the way it is. It's always been like that. It's very good. It's impressive. <laughs> I force myself. I try to make sure I sleep seven to eight hours a night. When I trained for the Ironman back in the day, wow. in 2011, 2010, 2009, in that range, I learned very quickly how important sleep is to get your body back to train the next day. Right? Yeah, healing. Yeah. So I, I actually, I woke up. Five o'clock in the morning to run seven milers four days a week. And then on a Saturday or Sunday, we're up at five in the morning to go do a hundred mile bike ride or long bike rides as we progress to that. And what I learned was I had to get myself to bed. So I was right. in bed by nine or 10 o'clock every night and I went hard all day. Mm-hmm. So I went to bed, I was out. And then 5 a.m., the alarm woke oh. up, I was back at it again. I'll tell you, some days, I, or some days, some weeks, I don't go to sleep for a day and a half to, or two days because I have to travel. And, and once I travel, I have to do things. And uh, it's just kind of crazy, especially around harvest time. Uh, one of the things I do is I, I have certain areas, because I do travel, there are certain rest stops and um, 
whatever you call them, polo parking yeah, yeah, yeah. areas. Rest area, yeah, yeah. parking areas, right? And, yeah. and what I do is I go to those areas whether I'm tired or not, and I and I sleep whether I'm tired or not. So. I get used to going from point A to point B. My body gets used to it. So after a while, uh, me driving to my field, which is down in the Binghamton area, is just like driving to work around here. It's really no different. And he's talking about a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive. Yeah, it's a a two-and-a-half-hour drive. It really is... It doesn't even feel like it after a while because I'm also listening to podcasts. So there you go. No, that's right. (laughs) No, I love this. So for me... I've just picked up podcasts probably in the last year and a half, two years. Before that, I was books on tape. Yeah. So, or books on CD. So, mm-hmm. I would listen to full books when I drove. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I was a big on listening to documentaries, or not documentaries, I, uh, autobiographies. Yep. Winston yep. Churchill, blah, yep. blah, blah. You know, all the, mm-hmm. you know, a- anybody I could take, Robin Williams, but blah, blah, I, I just, anybody I said, oh, that person's interesting, George Carlin. Yep. I, diverse, because I want to hear what made people who they are. Yeah. To yeah. me, I want to know, like, did you ever have the fear that I have? Mm-hmm. Like, I just started Ubering recently, and the first night I was doing, jumping into to Uber, I was, I was seriously, not having a panic attack, but I felt like a 10 year old kid, like going into someplace for the first time and not knowing to expect that I was sweating. Like all I was doing was turning on an app, having someone sit in my car and driving from point to point. But there was such a fear in me. Like I've done a lot of things in my life. It was crazy to have that. You know, I can relate to that. I, um, was a Grubhub driver and I remember the first day that I was driving, I, I, I couldn't get to where I needed to go fast enough. Uh, after a while, it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> you get there. That's but right, that, yeah. but that first day was, I, I just, I was so hyped up. I had to, I couldn't get to my destination fast enough, no matter where it was. You just want to be do it yeah. right, do, do yeah. it, get yeah. to the next spot, go go. You're all hyped up and whatever. I love it. No, but that you're that ultra, you know, you're hyper focused. That fits in yeah, again, right? Yeah, there's. Uh, I'm. I'm. A, yeah, I get hyper focused. I. All right, so we got to hear about how your upbringing. You know, like, what, like you have great smile, good energy. I got to hear about your family. Oh. Born and raised in Rochester, are you? Uh, I was born in Tampa, Florida. Okay. Uh, I was raised in in the Rochester area. I was raised in Orleans County in a town called Morton, M-O-R-T-O-N. I know Morton. Yeah. I, Just before, wait a minute, it's between Kendall and... Uh, Hamlin. Hamlin, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I love Morton. Morton was a little cool little town, and the post office closed a few years ago, and that broke my heart, so... You know um, the Compt- Compton family out there by any chance? Yes. The Comptons? Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> so part of the Compton family, um, one of the daughters is in the cannabis industry as well. Oh, my goodness. I believe she works with a software program with companies out west uh-huh. that deal with inventory and that kind of stuff. So wow. I've been trying to collect with her. And then Kurt Compton, uh-huh. I don't know if you know Kurt, but no. he lived right across the street from me in Erotiquite. So, wow. Um, but they're actually thinking about growing up out on the farm out there, too. That's so funny. You got to get them in touch with me. Oh, I will, no doubt. <laughs> no, I can't wait to talk to Kurt and his sister now that and, and ask so him funny. if they remember you or know you. Because Morton's a very small town. It's yes. not like you're going to know very many people. So you yeah. probably know where the Compton's farm is that yeah. I'm talking about. Even well, it, it's so small, they shut the post office down. So yeah, it's small. <laughs> yeah, you probably got to go to Hamlin now. or uh, I don't Brockport, know where they maybe. go now, but yeah, yeah I, I would think maybe Hamlin, you know. Yeah, there's no Morton post office. Actually, no. in the, my 18 years of post office, I never remember a Morton post office. So that's interesting. Really? Yeah, what zip code would have been? Uh, 14508. All right, one four five three eight. I can't. Yeah, I, I don't. You don't forget your zip code. <laughs> no, you know. No. Well, I have a story about that. Um, 
not about the zip code thing, but about the post office. Uh, when my the my first days that I remember growing up in Morton, we grew up in a farmhouse uh, right next to the railroad tracks that were there uh, at the time, and there was a, a, a post office across the street. Well, right next to our house was a train station, uh, obviously because there, you know, the train was, was tracks were right next to us. Well, they shut all that down. Uh, the tracks slowly weren't used, and they shut the tracks down, and they had to figure out what to do with the um, uh, train station. So they brought a, uh, you know, equipment in and broke it all down, you know, and tore it down. And my first job, not on the farm, was to stack those bricks on pallets uh, so that they could come and haul them away. It took in the entire summer. I mean, it took months because there were a lot of bricks there. Yeah. Well, some of the bricks were used to build new steps on the post office across the street. So that's kind of my little claim to post office fame, I guess, if you will. You added to the structure of the yeah, post office. That's pretty cool. I guess that's it. No, that's awesome, man. That's <laughs> a, I love those stories like that, man. Everybody knows yeah. that my grandfather had a family business. I'm so proud to talk about that, yeah. you know, and the little nuances yeah. uh, being on roster. But Orleans County, so you were a farmer. Your parents were well. Well, my parents uh, were migrants, you know, and and they worked on um, farms in the area, and they eventually bought a house. They bought the farmhouse, and then we moved to a different house, um, very close to that, and that's where I finished off my schooling days. My mom um, worked various jobs. You know, she was um, uh, she worked for the for the county for a while as a social worker. Uh, she was a factory worker at General Electric for many years. Uh, she was part of the ladies' auxiliary. My dad was part of the fire department, which I didn't even know um, until after his passing. And I didn't put two and two together because you can't be in the auxiliary unless your husband is in the fire department. And I never put that to, that connection together. <laughs> I'm like, someone told me, I was like, oh, so you never remember your dad jumping no. out of bed in the middle of the night to go fight a fire? No, he was a truck driver. <laughs> he was jumping out of bed. It was to hop in his truck and drive 2,000 miles. That's you know? crazy. How cool is that? <laughs> Amazing thing. Like, that's because you were wrapped up as a kid with your schooling and your friends and everything else that so you missed the summer. I was just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> hyper-focused. Let's just, say hyper-focused. Okay, I was hyper-focused. Yeah. I was just out there. You know, I was, a, I was out there, man. <laughs> So when did you find cannabis? I was 17. Oh, jeez. Are you kidding? I found cannabis. I, I, I knew about cannabis before cannabis knew about me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, I, I knew that I was going to love it before I even saw it. I just knew it. Uh, I, 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 my theory is I was predisposed because I, it was in my first band, rock and roll band, of course, mm-hmm. Um and in this band, uh, one of the members, um, he he got into a, an auto accident, and he won a lot of money from that accident. So he outfitted an entire studio with equipment, and the 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 building again that we um, practiced in was an old train station. Okay, yeah. so we would go and have overnight rehearsals, and. They asked me to play with them. They were older than I was, but they asked me to play in a band with them. So I did, and I knew what was coming. I knew it. You know, yeah, as soon as you got here, like, oh, uh, I was like, gonna get offered. Yeah, all right, come on, break it out. You know, <laughs> right. I, I just knew it. And how old were you? 
Oh, geez. 15, 16? No, I was probably 14, 13, Sweet. something like that. You know, yeah. I was pretty young. And um, sure enough, you know, during rehearsal, it gets broken out. And I'm just like bouncing up and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come, come. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love it. You know, and it gets passed to me and I do my thing. And um, people said, oh, you're not going to get high the first time, blah, blah, blah. Shoot, man, I was wasted. I loved it. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> I was wasted my first time too, man. I still remember oh. I, I was came back from a trip from Florida with my family in the summer. Uh-huh. I was 17. It was before my senior year. And my friend goes, you got to get high. No, Brian. I, I was the prude. I was like, no, I'm not touching any drugs. Da, da, da. My <laughs> uncles do stupid shit. I'm not going to do it. But I'm like, I got to try it. Yeah. The minute I tried it that first night, because I never liked drinking. Right. I didn't like right. the taste of beer. I didn't mm-hmm. like the alcohol. I didn't like how it made me feel. So right. I have always gravitated to weed and I've been the bud guy, like the weed mm-hmm. guy. Like I've always been the guy that'll have my two beers in a night. Even at college parties, I was never that guy to go to the to the right. keg over and over or do keg stands. Yeah. No, go I was going with five other guys. We were at the apartment next door getting high while before we came back to hang out. Right, with right. Well, I never had a tolerance for alcohol. You know, I I I'd have a few beers and you know, that's it. But uh, uh, it's it just, I knew it was for me. I knew it. it before I saw it. I was, I was like, okay, come on. Like part of your soul? Yeah, I just knew it. You know, I was like, come on, you know, why are we wasting time here? I know it's for me. Let's go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there oh, is no so cool. will I like All it. Right, so did it affect you positively or negatively that night, just that night playing? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. That's okay. I don't even know if we played again after that. <laughs> Even better. Oh, I love it. Now, did they know it was your first time that night? Did you tell them, or I don't, would you play cool? Like, I don't know. It, it, no one asked, and I don't. I don't know. I don't know if passed. they knew it was or just not. passed, and you were yeah. like, "Okay, I'm following suit." Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it was joints back then, probably. Oh yeah, because we're talking about what the 50s right now. 60s? Oh no, 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 no. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So you're 61, 70s. I'm sorry. Yeah, 70s, early yeah. 70s. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to date you. Yeah, that's okay. Because my mom, I think I'm 47. She'd been all right. So you, yeah, you're about 10 years younger than my mom. Yeah, so. that's no, you know, it's no big deal. I, know. I, 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 um, I like being my age. I do. Me too. I'm it's, 17 all day long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got the energy of a 17 year old. Well, you know, <clears throat> I'm glad I'm not because I was stupid then. <laughs> God, me too. Man. You know, I don't want <clears throat> excuse me. I don't want to go back to that era again. You know, it I I'm enjoying my life right now. I'm really having a good time. This is I'm having a blast. I really am. Aside from the stress, so you're ignoring the stress to have fun because well, this is a stressful environment in this industry. Well, yeah, but it's all part of it. It's you know if if you if you're not going to enjoy the ride, then don't get on it because it's going to be crazy. You got to know that coming into this, it's going to be nuts. Um, and if you're in it to just, you got to have the right motivation. If you're in it to make money. Yes, you're going to make that money, but you're not going to make it quickly. And you've got to find, just like any other business, you've got to find your niche. You can't just expect, oh, I'm growing hemp. It's going to, that money is just going to fall into your lap. You've got to spend a lot of money per acre to grow this crop. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. Be like water. Yeah. Be like water. For example, um, I've had a couple of people ask me about drying space. Well, I'm now providing drying space. That's something that I did not plan on, but hey, you know, people are asking me and I fill the need. Boom. There you go. I mean, when you're only doing uh, one to two acres and you know you had established 
um, space to do that, that's a perfect opportunity to, to yes. bring in more revenue. Yeah, there's all kinds of things you can do. You can you know go in partnership with a someone that owns the building. Mm-hmm. Because remember, when they're drying, it's only for a couple of weeks. So you can get multiple people in and out. That's right. Yeah. No. Um, are you happy where the industry is going in New York State in general? Wow. Um, Sorry to go so serious. No, 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 no. That's fine. There. I just want to, I have to, I have to, to be honest, I have to explore, you know, what I think about that because I, my first inkling is to say no. And the reason why I would have said no is because I don't think bigger is better. When this all started back in 2014 with the 2014 Farm Bill and you know we started getting into this position where we are now, the, what was said was that this industry was going to be patterned after the craft beer industry where you would have entities that would not only grow their own crops but process their own crops and produce their own quality product and then market and distribute. Um, and the marketplace would be protected because the gold standard would be so high that if you weren't in this state, you had to meet that gold standard to do business in this state. Um, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but what has happened is that larger companies have come in, uh, which has negated the craft brew, if you will, uh, model. You have these big processors and companies that come in that either are or not fulfilling their obligations, and it's causing a bottleneck. That bottleneck will ease at some point, but I think what people are beginning to realize is that you come in here talking about opening up a a uh, 300,000 square foot processing facility, and it's not going to work yet because you got to have the, the output. Where are you gonna where where are you gonna move all that material to? There, you don't have manufacturers yet. You don't yeah, have, yeah, you'd have to be manufacturing your own products, right? On top of it, like a Casimir right. or, or one of the big players out west is doing. Hint, hence the the craft beer model. Mm-hmm. You know, it's vertically oriented. But if you get these these huge processors that come in and all they're doing is processing, and then you're telling the growers that they must sell to processors, well. You're going to have people saying, no, I'm not going to do that. So now they're breaking the rules or they're going to do that. And they're going now they're at the, the whim of the processors. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get lowballed by the processors and highballed by the seed sellers. And guess what? Now you got a problem with the with the farmer trying to make money. Trying, right. trying to keep it profitable. And and <clears throat> hopefully what we have in the industry is a bunch of respectable processors um, that at the end of the day, processors are spending more money than they anticipated to build these companies. Yes, and huge, huge amount more, huge amount of money. So they're gonna, so business wise, they're gonna try and cut anywhere they can. So it's right. not like they're just trying to screw farmers um, in general. But yes, there are a lot of unfair practices going around across the country with the buying of hemp because, as we all know, as as been out there. There could be somewhere up to 200 million pounds of hemp left on farmers' right. fields this year because there's not enough processors to process Right. It. And I would go as, as far as to say it's not necessarily an unfair thing because, again, when you get into this, you have to get into it with your eyes wide open. 
you understand there's a glut of material out there. Well, guess what? Your stuff may not move. So if you plant, if you plan on planting and growing in all of this, you have to understand that you're going to have to have find alternate ways of doing things, or you're going to have to monetize that crop in a, in a way that you didn't plan to. Um, or maybe the strain you grew doesn't fit to that model. Then you're really in trouble. Right. When you grow a strain, maybe better for processing <clears throat> versus a retail flower, then you're, then right. you're really stuck because right. you, you, you didn't pay attention in the, and do enough uh, research beforehand. Right. And that's one reason why I'm leveraging crops because when I leverage these crops, I can get the things that I need and want to to move forward to the next grow and it's that next grow that is critically important that is monetized not this one that's right so you know there's a plan to it but it's a very delicate plan i mean you know it's sensible though and you learned it from going from 2017 growing hemp and fiber which was a a, a lot less of risk for you because you were involved with the state with the process you grew 169 acres you had partners helping you with that I'm sure you didn't do all that yourself that would have been nuts Um, so you actually got to see it from big and then scale down so you see where the value is to know what strain you want to grow what you want to do with the plants how you want to extract how you want to do your infusions yes I think it's a great model well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and, and the reason, uh, or I shouldn't say the reason, mm-hmm. the, the 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 approach that I'm taking um, fits my personality. Um, it it I I don't like complications. I like simplicity. So I want to keep this as simple as I can keep it, and and focus on quality and and working with the customer the 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 final you know the end product working with the w- developing relationships with people that are actually using this material and and finding out what they want and what they need uh, so that I can supply that to the best you know of my ability and not just pump stuff out I don't care if I'm selling to Two million people. I want to sell to the people that really appreciate what they're getting because I'm putting out something that can be appreciated. And see the value in it and know when they come back, that product will be the same the next time. That, right. That they consistency. Have it. Right. Yep. They that's know the what they're going piece. to get from me every time. And that's huge. In this industry, yeah. consistency yeah. Uh, and good products yep. uh, will trump marketing and packaging a little bit mm-hmm. further down. Not well, right it's away. all part of it. I think, I, I really believe. Um, I, I mean, I believe in marketing. I really do, and I'm fascinated by that as well. That's another aspect of this. That and I to find. me, in this industry, the mar- marketing and education almost are. Hand it's almost hand. marketing is part of the, the education is part of the marketing. Marketing yeah. is part of the education. Yeah, and and again, that goes back to uh, I believe the best thing we can do for ourselves is educate the consumer so that they know exactly how to purchase what they want. When they can do that, they'll know what to look for and what what to stay away from, and that'll drive everyone else in the industry to meet those standards. One of the things that I've learned recently is, um, let's say you are in a laboratory someplace and you're testing, um, let's say you're testing... Uh, I don't want to use food, but it, it seems like an easy... Let's say you're testing spaghetti sauce, right? Okay. So the EPA will have a standard out there for every lab in the country that might be testing spaghetti sauce. It might be a bad example. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, but let's say someone in a lab that's testing spaghetti sauce in California can call someone in a lab in New York State, and they will have matching standards. So the way you sample prep everything, that way when you two labs call each other, they are doing apples-to-apples comparison, 
right? Mm-hmm. In the cannabis industry, that is not the case right now. The EPA nope. has not stepped up and done sampling and said, this is how we should do sample preps for things called chewables or gummies or for hard candies or for suckers or for mm-hmm. bombs or for salves, lotions, shampoo, whatever CBD is getting put into these days. Right. Right. So, and the EPA is not stepping up with this right now and no. nobody seems to be. So within the cannabis industry, what we have is a bunch of people running these cannabis labs that are doing all this third party testing, but none of the labs are willing to talk to each other to talk about the procedures that they're doing sample prep. So we do have some things in the industry that need to be shored up. Have you seen that same thing? Well, yeah, uh, especially here in New York, but outside of New York, well, every state that, um, um, it, it, that has cannabis that you can legally grow, they're all different. Their testing criteria and baselines are completely different. And so I, I, I can't verify this information, but I've heard in some states that 0.3 is different. It, it's actually 0.1. I don't know. Um, yeah, there is, I think, two states out there that have 0.1 as their legal limit, and 0.3 yeah. above the federal government. I right. think Michigan, maybe Illinois. Right? Okay. Anyways, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I've heard I that. I know it. Yeah. Um, you know, it... it a lot of what you do is determined by what you know what these arbitrary uh, levels are. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to dictate what you do to making sure you're always compliant, basically. And I I I hope now the 2018 Farm Bill that this gets. I would have hoped that testing labs across the country would have come together with some kind of solution when when the when the when the bill went out in 2018 and it's just troubling to me that here we are 15 months later, 16 months later from this bill and there's still no standard or not even anybody in this industry talking about creating a standard. Well, I um I think that's what's holding it up is the fact that there is no or no one is talking about the standard. Um I use a lab out of Massachusetts. And it's interesting because with this particular lab that I use, I get a breakdown of cannabinoids or whatever the test that I'm, 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 uh, I get performed. But I look at this COA versus another lab's COA, and it's like reading Greek. Uh, you really have to search for the same information. For example, um, I'm big about the ratio between CBD and THC, which in in the lab report that I get, you can see that ratio. They spell it right out. When I look for that on other COAs, I can't find it. So I actually have to kind of figure it out. Yeah, you got to look at it and say, what's the... Yeah, yeah. you know, and... and um, that's one of the things uh, that needs to be standardized is the information that is presented on the COAs themselves. Um, I get my plants tested every few weeks as they grow. Once once they get to the flowering stage, then I start to test them. And I, the reason I do that is I want to graft the the, the cannabinoid profile as it matures, and I wanted I want this information just to see in future grows how it compares in in regards to what I do to it. Um, this so, car- so you're also with this, you're also adding notes as to whether um, other conditions that could be changing this? Yes, no? yes. Okay. In other words, um, this year when I, when I planted, w- w- one of the people I work with wanted me to feed them and um, put in fertilizers and things of that nature. I said, no. I just want them to grow. Just let them grow. 
I'm not going to water them. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let them grow. I'm going to weed the crap out of them and, and talk so to what, them. So what water nutrients comes, it's going to go right to the plants? Right. Okay. Right. Yep. So I, I just said, you know, let's just use this as a baseline, and which means we're not going to do anything. And, and take note of what happens. Then the next grow, the outdoor grow, will plant the same thing in the same spot and will change something and then see what happens. That I, I'm, I, so you're actually charting by plots on your land too? Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the cannabinoid profile is part of that research. That's why I get the test done frequently because I want to see what changes and, and the ratio of those cannabinoids, how they change in in during during plant growth and i can actually see that it's actually quite interesting i want to watch this with you so mm -hmm. i actually want to track this with mm -hmm. you because i'm a big science nerd like this too with this plant mm -hmm. because there's not enough research in this country so i want to be part of that building of that research up whether it's processing side growing side whatever right. it is i want to big ppsp i'm talking to people on the processing side that hey let, let's track everything right to right. see at the end of the day when the oil comes out do the processing whatever mm -hmm. processing let's figure out what started that oil mm -hmm. follow it through so we can make sure that that there's certain things that can be done as far as consistency and standards and and talking to farmers educated right mm -hmm. I, I for me it's it's just a fascination of what happens when you when 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 an action occurs, the reaction. I, I find that fascinating. Uh, you know, the plant. If if it if uh, a stiff wind hits it, it it reacts. If it if a, if it goes through a frost, it reacts. And I and I find that you know how it reacts just very very interesting. I so. love that because it could be one day's mm -hmm. weather event that can really change oh, yeah. a plant's path. Yeah, to well, its end of its growth, it's crazy. Yeah, well, the more uh, one reason why I harvested last week um, versus this week, other than just plain old scheduling conflicts, was I wanted to get the crop in before it went through too many frosts. It went through a couple of frosts, which was fine. I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wanted it to, because uh, it the frost actually promoted flowering. I mean, it speeds it up. Okay. Uh, because again, it's a reaction to what happens to it. Uh, you know, so I wanted to see uh, how that would affect the cannabinoid profile. Um, and, and I'm sure it did. I do know... Uh, that if 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 the plant goes through frost, it can raise the THC level, and that some cannabis growers, marijuana growers, actually let their crops go through frost in order to do that. Now, early on or late? Late, late. Yeah, definitely late. Yeah. Uh, did you start your seeds in the ground, or did you start did you start them inside in cultures, or how did you do it? We put them in little starters, uh, you know, uh, seventy-two cube uh, starters with, with with just potting soil. And then you guys just take that and transplant it. Put it in the ground. Yep, yep. just transplant them. Yeah, cool. just put it in the ground. Now, my next grow, which is hopefully indoors, I also have seed. I have the same seed, and I'm going to plant that seed. And again, it's not feminized, but I'm going to use it. And uh, I'm since it's the same seed, I'll be able to track certain things, or I'll, I'll know certain things about it based on this past grow. And uh, I'll do research. Because, because again... 
one thing to remember is the license that I have is a research license, and everything I do is under the under the auspices of research. So I I research everything. Every I I, I want to see the trends in everything. Everything I do, uh, I want to know what happens when I do this, and I, it's just you know that's the fun part about it. All right, I want to get to talk about certified organic farmers, but f- before that, what strains are you growing? Okay, uh, it's called cherry blossom, and what that is is a cross between berry blossom and cherry wine. Uh, where did you get it from? Uh, from a grower in in New York State, down in the uh, Berkshire area, and uh, it was something he grew last year, and I managed to get some seed from him. How do you like it so far? Is I it working love with, it. Is oh. it- <laughs> Because there's a lot of people in the state talking about um, cherry wine and mm-hmm. the cherry blends as being probably best for the state, possibly. And and, the, and that was the, the other part of my question that just came back to me, sorry, is uh, Cornell and Morrisville. Have you used them, talked to them? Because to me, you are one of the most thorough guys for research and writing documentation. I'm sure a lot of farmers aren't as thorough as you. Are you talking to Jen at uh, Morrisville? Or are you talking to Cornell? And how have you had relationships with them in the past? I've had relationships or relations with Cornell since 2017. Um, even before that, really. Uh, not so much lately, only... We we have a lot of correspondence, but back in 2017, we actually uh, purchased seed from them. So we were part of that because the, the program we were a part of, they were the primary seed source. That's where we got all our seed from, and it was a uh, dual purpose crop for us to grow and then you know do our research. And you mentioned earlier there were six <clears throat> private companies back in 2017 that did this, and, and four other colleges. And I believe I want to. It was probably Morrisville, and it was probably Cornell and Clarkson, or maybe I don't remember. Yeah. Um, you Try, know, I'm trying to think of the four. Yeah. Just I could tell people around the state like this is this is the colleges jumped on board with this right away. Right. Well, yeah, they were. Um, not on. I wouldn't say the colleges jumped in right away because actually they were very reluctant. But a few of the schools jumped in, and Morrisville's an ag and right. ag college in same with Cornell, so that's why right. were, it was it was perfect for those two to jump in. Yeah, I, but uh, to say they jumped in college, no, no, they not they they took their time. Well, Morrisville's now creating cannabis, right? curriculum right yep. so so luckily it didn't take long for them to jump in how right. we consider jumping well they in. saw they saw the you know i mean again that's that's a perfect marriage for them you know and more so i love because talking to um jen i'm sorry i don't have her full name again i've mentioned in a previous episode but more so is really getting working with growers across the state mm-hmm. to try and figure out the best CBD flour to give to processors? Is it really the higher percentage that matters more? Or can it be a lower percentage and it won't cost you as much, even though you got to put more biomass through to get the same value out of it? She mm-hmm. really wants to do the studies on that, which I, I, I'm intrigued with. Well, um, earlier, I'm glad you brought that up because earlier I had a conversation with a couple of people about this. And again, it's, it's my belief uh, that Percentage itself does not matter as much as people make it out to be. Again, it's one of those numbers that is um, that is projected. For example, if you have seventeen percent, ooh, that's good. Well, okay, it's good because you're saying it's good, but really, 
I, I spoke with someone who smoked smokable flour at eight and a half percent, and they enjoyed it much more than a 17 percent smokable flour. Uh, and again, I think that all comes down to post harvest. What you do, it do you, did it, was it cured? Was it cured properly? Was it cured slowly? Did was it dried properly? Because you could have a 17, 18 percent crop and ruin it in post production or post harvest. Tobacco drying can do that to, the, to some of these. Yeah. So if you took what he's saying is, let's say you take a butt of a tobacco dryer that's reading 16% CBD and then an uh, air cured one, like he's properly carrying his, those two percentages, that one, his iris may be 15% and this one's 17%. But at the end of the day, iris is probably looking, smelling, and tasting better to smoke. Than right. Tobacco dried, quick dried. Right. It's, it's actually, even if it's not better. Um, and what's better? That means more percentage, right? In, in most people's minds. Yeah, that's what we're th- the people right. in the industry are thinking that now. Right. But at the end of the day, there's not enough processors on the East Coast, and the people on the West Coast are holding their pri- proprietary information. Right. So the processors are very tight-lipped out west. Yes, they I, don't want to give any of their information. No, no, and that's everywhere. I, I just think there's more to quality than percentage of CBD. I believe the, how the, the terpene profile, how you preserve those terpenes, uh, all contributes to the experience of, of that flower. Um, I mean, the, if the aroma is there, that's aromatherapy. I mean, that's part of it. So you open that jar and you you oh wow that smells great but that's part of the experience. If you open a jar of seventeen percent and there's nothing there, yeah okay it's seventeen percent, but okay. It could still be higher. It's just like a THC plant. For all you guys know, sometimes you open a bag <laughs> and that and it's like okay that's okay, and then other times you smell it and you're like holy oh, smokes. Oh yeah yeah. And, and at the end of the day, once you smoke both, they could both hit you the same way. But there's something about that higher, yep. better smelling one that just yep. delights your senses that slightly little bit. And that one probably has more terpenes and other things to help the delivery method, right? So right, let's yeah. talk about terpenes. You, you've mentioned a couple of times, some people don't understand terpenes. There's a company here in Rochester called Terpining. There's terpenes everywhere. Like there's terpenes in every plant, mm-hmm. uh, apples, potatoes, but, but there's terpenes. Explain terpenes and, and a little bit what you've learned in your in your way that you do. Well, terpenes, it's, it's very interesting because they um, they're, it's an oil, and this oil will evaporate at high temperatures, or not very high temperatures at all. But this uh, is about 180, 85 degrees. Uh, not yeah, even. I'm from what from what I've been told is if it, anything over seventy degrees Fahrenheit when you're drying them will evaporate the terpenes. Um, I'm I'm not sure if that number is exact, but well, I'll certainly look it up for a yeah. future episode. Yeah, that's curious. Um, uh, another one of the things is if. Um, if if you if you lose your terpenes, uh, you lose part of of the experience of the the the, the flower itself, and and uh, the aroma is where the terpenes is produced. the The flavor of the of of the flower, how it tastes, how it smokes, the the um, um, the smoothness of it is a lot of that is determined by the oils within it. So many different things with this plant. It's amazing. Oh, so many. Um, it, it, the main thing is, for me, is to try to preserve as many terpenes as possible and as many, you know, and not ruin the trichomes when, when, I'm, when I'm drying it. 
That's the biggest thing about yeah. the, protecting the trichomes. Protecting oh, yeah, the trichomes. you're right. So the most volatile terpenes found in the cannabis plant will start to evaporate around 70 degrees. Yeah, yeah I knew it was right around there. The, uh, thank you for that correction mm-hmm. for me. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where CBD converts over CBDA, mm-hmm. converts over CBD. That's around the 180 mm-hmm. yeah. degrees mark. So I apologize. Uh, but let me read this real quick. This is uh, just something I Googled real quick. The most volatile terpenes found in the cannabis plant will start to evaporate around 70 degrees, filling the air with a pungent aroma. Other terpenes will begin to evaporate evaporate rapidly around 100 degrees Fahrenheit, mm. uh, but temperatures will, will vary. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad I looked that up. Yeah. Uh, certified farms. So you taught me something, and I want to make sure I heard this right. Um, you taught me something when I was in the Albany event that okay. I passed on to people. I want to make sure I recited it correctly. You can correct me or say, yep, that's what I said. So uh, certified organic farms. Uh, if you have a certified or, or organic uh, that you're growing in, it can be just an acre on a farm of a hundred acres, correct? Like it, that one acre can be certified separately from, so like the 199 acres, or you can have an acre on the other side of the farm is certified. That way, if nothing bad goes down with that acre, it doesn't shut down all of your certified organics. Um, explain to me a little bit about certified organic farm and some of the background. Well, I can, ex- I can, I can explain it from my point of view, from, from the Please. farms that I work with. Mm-hmm. If you have, um, land that has not been, uh, as a definition of certified organic, that has not used any pesticides or herbicides, insecticides for so many years, and I think it's seven years, um, you can become certified organic. And the land that I'm using this year was just tested this year and sort of recertified. So I got a new thing to hang on my wall. Uh-huh. Um as far as contiguous lands, if they're all connected, I believe you have to have it all certified because you have to be careful of what's around the plot that you're you're growing in. So if, if you have a contiguous growing area where it's multiple acres and you're only growing one acre, I do believe that it all has to be certified organic. So if it's segmented, so let's say you have two acres on the opposite side of the road, 98 on that side, then maybe that might apply. That's, that I, right? Yeah, if there's, a, okay. if there's a delineation, a separation, then, then, yeah, then um, uh, you can certify this plot A and uh, plot B does not have to, because if you, especially if you're not using it for anything. That's right. I mean, because the risk is if you have, uh, and the way they were describing it at that session was if, if you have a 99 acre plot and mm-hmm. they take a sample off a piece of one acre, right. uh, your whole 99 acre plot then is shut down. So that that's kind of yeah. I think they were describing as yeah. you know be careful when you do certified organic because right it be one skewity. Well, well, from what I understand, the test the way that you you collect the sample is you collect it throughout the field. Uh, so if you have multiple acres, you have to collect that sample from that, those multiple acres. It can't just be from one area. I know when they when the state wants their samples for my crops there's a pattern that uh, well it's not really a pattern no, but it's a, a set way that you have to yeah. collect your samples right you have to collect your samples throughout the field in a certain way and you can't just go into one area of the field you have to um, go diagonally across the field and down in a certain way and collect so many samples from so many areas in order to get a representation of the entire field has it been difficult to deal with this, or, or do you think the benefit far outweighs any difficulties getting the certification? Um, the benefits outweigh the the trouble. It, it really is, 
from what you know because again i lease land so i don't own this land and and, and uh from what i understand from the farmers the, the people who own the land uh once it's certified it's really not that difficult to keep it certified you just have to make sure you who your neighbors are and what they're growing and what they're using for pesticides right. and tests, right. what they're putting on what they're growing. Right. More so than what they're growing. Well, right? than what they're growing too, because if they're growing corn, that's GMO. Oh, great point. You know? And this and this goes mm-hmm. to my last point that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is the USDA. Did you hear recently or see through the HIA newsletter where they were going to put about a quarter million dollars into um, the spread of um, genetics through the air, through through um, through the environment? I don't know if you saw that little. I notation. did not see that, but what I did see, and I oh, cross pollination. That's right. That's the terminology. I yeah, uh, what I did see was um, there was. I can't remember the state. I wish I had this in front of me, but in, in a particular state, there was a grower who was three miles away from another grower, and their crops were cross pollinated, and come to find out. Pretty much everybody in the area, uh, their crops were pollinated, their CBD crops were pollinated by this one farm. So they're, they're now taking a second look at this and trying to determine, okay, are we going to establish zones for growing where if you grow hemp, you can only grow in this zone or that zone. And, and one of the troubling things about what happened in that particular state, and I wish I could remember which state it is. I, okay. I, I don't, though. Yeah. Uh, was this that, is common. This is a common thing yeah. everybody's going to deal with. So it, Right. Yeah. Uh, one thing that happened was it wasn't just outdoor crops that were affected. It were greenhouse crops were affected as well. So, uh, and what they think was that bees actually uh, helped this or, or and promoted birds. this. Yes, and, and birds, birds. Probably, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, they don't think that it was just windborne. They they believe that bees actually carried a lot of the pollen. Uh, so how they're going to address that is is going to be very interesting because I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm glad the USDA has jumped on board with this to mm-hmm. help farmers because this is a critical function. Because yes. if you're just going to have certain zones where you allow hemp to be grown, you're going to have cross-pollination within that whole zone. You yeah. really need to spread out farmers, actually, with this yeah. plant because this plant is known to pollinate further. Yeah. And this is one thing I want to put out there. The VCCF, the Veterans Cannabis Collective Foundation, uh, Gino DiBasquale, uh, who's on our first couple episodes with, with us, helping us out getting this podcast started, um, they've grown a, they grew into uh, an industrial hemp out in Bergen. And that field that they were on was a dead field, hardly any animals, hardly any birds, didn't hear anything. They grew hemp last summer. And that field became a, a center point for a lot of animals that have not yeah. been around that farm for years. Yep. There were yeah. blue jays. There was, I got, I had birds die bombing my head on harvest day <laughs> uh, be, coming down for seeds. They yeah. were eating the seeds off the plants. Uh-huh. Uh, and the way G, Gino was smart, he put offerings on the outside and right. left them so so most of the wildlife would get the offerings and not come into the main, main portion. But we saw it live happening. Yeah. It's where really birds were taking seeds and flying away. Like, uh-huh. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, with my stand, uh, it was interesting how mine was set up. Uh, there were crops next door. There was a creek on the other side. So we would get deer that would go to the creek. They'd go through my field, but they wouldn't eat the crops because they would go eat other crops. Uh, so we, what we learned from this was... To grow a, what did we call it? Uh, 
a protectorate crop, if you will. I can't remember what the term is. Yeah, cover co- some cover cover crop. Well, or it's similar. it's not a cover crop. Yeah. It's a um, it, it, it I can't remember like the clovers? term. Yeah, no, it, there's I, a I know term for it. You're and, right. There is. Yeah, and 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 you can grow corn, beets, whatever you want to grow. But what happens is the animals will go to that and not your crop. They don't really care about yours because they, they see something much better. And if there's water nearby, then they'll traverse to the water and they'll just leave your crops alone. And that's what's happening, or that's what happened to my field. Uh, some people weren't so lucky. They had groundhogs and deer and you name it, and um, you know aphids, you name it. Mm-hmm. But I was very, very fortunate. I didn't have any problems with people stealing my crops, any aphids, um, no deer, no nothing. It just... You know, I was. How about your spider mites? Uh, very minimal. Uh, they early on, I had some, uh, but once they started to flower uh, and mature, the the spider mites went away. They were just because they around. weren't weak. They were they like weak plants versus yeah. really strong plants. Yeah. unless it's the only thing they have. They but. just went away. So that's phenomenal. All right, it's harvest season. We've just done a very long show here with you, and, and I got to tell you, I could seriously go another half hour wow. with you. Not a problem. We're not going to do that to people, but I hope everybody <laughs> appreciates the fact that we had permit number five in New York State in Ag and Markets, part of the research program. This gentleman is a wealth of knowledge. I can't wait to have him uh, come hang out with me and my team, but this guy is great. I hope everybody enjoyed Ira Fair today. Ira, uh, if anybody can find your website for your products, anything, please, your social media right now is the time. Please tell everybody how they can find you. Well, the best the best place to go right now is my Facebook uh, page, which is uh, uh, 21st Century Hemp, uh, you know, at 21st Century, or at Century Hemp 21. Uh, my website is being developed as we speak. In fact, if I need a good web developer, if there are any out there, you know, I might have a couple I could throw your way. Okay, cool. Because I could use that. Uh, I just don't have the time to do this stuff. I'm busy in the field and, you know, but I, marketing to me is, is a big, big deal. And I really want to jump on that as soon as possible here. So a web developer, a marketing director, those type of people I'm looking for right now. I might have some names for you. Cool. Uh, Ira, at the end of the day, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast, and I hope uh, I didn't bore too many people out there. But uh, this really is a passion of mine, and I'm loving every minute of it, even the downs. It's the journey that I like. If uh, a farmer right now, because the it's still application open in the state, yes. so let's say someone in New York wanted to put an application, what would you tell them? Right now, before they fill out the application or go on the ag and markets and download the application, start filling out, what, what advice would you give them? Just the first thing. Is it to find a, go to a place of resource, whatever it is, what's the first piece of advice you'd give that person? Um, I would tell people to get tap into the communication of what people are saying about this plant. Go on social media and troll. Just troll around and 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 listen to what people are saying. Find and f- sort of figure out who who's in the know and who isn't. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they say it. Um, some people are very political. Some are not. Some are. You can tell their intentions are not very good. But 
there, there are people out there, there are farmers out there who really know their stuff. Go onto the forums, just learn as much as you can. Uh, go to YouTube, learn about how to cultivate this crop, L- learn how to uh, uh, the methods for drying and curing before you put anything in the ground, before you spend any money on this crop. Learn as much as you can about how it's produced because it'll it'll save you a lot of grief in the end. It really will. Amen. I'm ending it there because you could not say it any better. That is actually every single thing a farmer needs to think about. I've talked to over 50 farmers in this state over the last month, uh, and he hit it the nail on the head. Yeah. Thank you, Ira. You're welcome. You. Thank you. <laughs>